Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here for today's episode that is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me next week now to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk about sports. We've been having a lot of fun on those Locker Room uh, live podcasts. I did one after the game yesterday after the win against Charlotte, which was a lot of fun as well. So we're going to keep doing that. It gives you guys a chance to get involved. But as teased on yesterday's show, we've got a friend of the podcast back on. Uh, we always we drag this guy on a couple of times per season, at least from the Washington Post. It is Ben Gulliver, also a published author now as well. And that's really where we want to tip this off. Ben, you've been a busy man these last couple of weeks. I have been, Kane. The book comes out on Tuesday, uh, Bubble Ball. It's my journey, you know, 93 days, 92 nights down in the bubble. You know, I think that you and I actually talked when I was down there and I was kind of telling you what it was like on the ground, watching that Bucks, you know, kind of aborted playoff run, watching Giannis get injured and that insane foul against Jimmy Butler late and just the emotions that were tied up, even with the Milwaukee Bucks protest in, during the first round against Orlando. So, I tried to channel a lot of that stuff, honestly. I mean, I think that you're probably going to, when you read this book, you're going to go back to a couple of chapters and be like, hey, wait a minute, didn't, didn't we talk about this, uh, you know, <laughs> back in August? And, uh, you know, that's kind of the fun part about it is to relive just one of the craziest years in NBA history from the, uh, the Hong Kong controversy to Kobe Bryant's death to the shutdown uh, with the pandemic uh, and just straight into the, you know, insane idea of bringing the whole sport and a whole bunch of Hall of Fame players to Disney World. I mean, all of it kind of tied into one. It just, you know, the book idea fell into my lap and I'm so excited it's coming out. So I've told you this before, but as someone that's, you know, we're in the media business, we do this kind of stuff. What we really love doing is going and covering NBA games in person, which obviously we haven't been able to do for quite a while, but this was such a unique experience. And this is why it's so cool for you to have this book because I mean, fingers crossed, this doesn't have to happen again. I mean, that's what we're all hoping for, but you were there and I, I was definitely jealous of the people that were in there and getting to experience this. So for me, that's why I'm excited to get a little bit of inside access to what it was really like and some of the stories that I'm sure we didn't know. But you touched on it from a Milwaukee point of view. It was a shame in a lot of ways, if you're a Bucks fan, that this is the way the season ended and you weren't able to continue with the, the crazy pace that they were on before the season shut down. But for Bucks fans, a lot went on. Is there any specific tease you can give them for Bucks fans that are obviously going to want to get their hands on this book? Well, one funny little nugget was after that game two loss to Miami, um, where they're all just, you know, beside themselves at the foul call on Giannis that gave Jimmy the, the, the opportunity to shoot the game-winning free throws. Um, you'll remember Giannis never complained once. You know, he just sat on the sideline and, and just took his lumps, and he was blaming himself for that loss. And even in the post-game interviews, he had plenty of opportunities to point the finger at the officials, and he never did. Of course, Bud and his teammates were very upset on his behalf, but you know, I made a little pit stop to the bathroom on my way from the court uh, to the locker room for the post-game session, and uh, 
one of the NBA's officials had his cell phone on him. And it was one of those things where it would announce who was calling. Um, and, uh, you know, it now it actually announced the name of, of one of the Bucks co-owners who was calling to complain about the foul just minutes after it happened and wanted to take it up with the league office and an angry phone call. So, you know, it's little details like that where, again, I mean, it, you're in this empty gym. There's only so many places you can go. All these famous people are squeezed into tiny confines where it just kind of makes you chuckle when you look back at it. Um, but I think that, you know, the Bucks figure prominently in large part in this book because of the protest. And I view the, the chapters about the protest as kind of the meat of the book. I mean, I went almost minute by minute through that afternoon for me showing up at the arena, kind of thinking, hey, something could be up. We've been hearing these complaints for a couple of days now to sort of the, un, you know, the discovery process, the unfurling of, of the information from the Bucks players about what they were doing and why they were in the locker room. I kind of talk about snooping and eavesdropping on the, the Orlando Magic locker room and looking into their uh, room and seeing Busevich kind of look back out towards me. And he has the same look on his face that I do, which is like, what the heck is going on? And so I really try to paint that scene vividly. So I think if people were interested in just the nuts and bolts of how that day went down, I think I've pretty much have created the definitive account of I'm going to pat myself on the back here. Um, cause I, I really wanted to make sure that part got remembered for history. And then, you know, I use that to kind of set up in terms of their collapse against Miami and what kind of role that the emotional weight of the protests and of, you know, the struggles they had adjusting to the bubble, how that kind of all came together and wound up biting them. And what was a closer series in my mind than um, you know, it winds up getting remembered as. So I think that's, you know, that, that's part of how they feature, but you know, it's a ride along journey. You know, you're talking about being jealous. I appreciate your honesty because some people they're just kind of jealous behind the scenes. And, you know, it's, it's nice of you to just, you know, admit that up front. Um, but as you know, we both, I think, went into that experience expecting Milwaukee to be one of the top three favorites. At least I did. And I'm pretty sure you were right there with me. And so they play a role in sort of helping to explain what worked and what didn't um, in terms of adjusting to bubble life. And obviously the Lakers adjusted to the bubble much better than either the Clippers um, or the Bucks, or certainly teams like uh, the Rockets or the Sixers who really kind of embarrassed themselves and, and by the end of it. And so, you know, I think Milwaukee is just one case study for how was bubble ball different than normal basketball and why did some of the things that worked for them during last year's regular season uh, not work. And, and I think, um, you know, all things considered, a big chunk of this book is about the Milwaukee Bucks, in part because, as you know, I'm very fond of Giannis. And I wanted to make sure I got some really good up-close details about his game and, and my respect for him as well. It's interesting, last one, uh, because I'm sure everyone listening here didn't listen to this podcast to uh, go back in history and relive the Miami series. But uh, <laughs> it's interesting that you did say that it was a closer series than many remember. And it is funny. I mean, I, from, from time to time, that series comes up when you listen to different podcasts or national you know, TV shows because that's what everyone remembers. The Bucks lost in five games. But as you pointed to, you already brought up game two, which ended um, whether or not you want to label it controversial. But it was, it was a close game. And then in the third game, obviously, there was that fourth quarter collapse as well. So it could have been very different. And then that point, Giannis got injured. But a, a lot came out of that. But before, this is a good segue into what I want to talk about next. But before we jump on to the current day NBA stuff, uh, where can people get this? Where should they be heading? So they can get it pretty much anywhere. I mean, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, wherever you buy your books should have it, and it's going to release on Tuesday. So if you pre-order it, you'll get it next week. 
Um, and there's going to be, there's uh, digital versions as well, ebook available on Amazon. And I actually did the audio book, Kane. So if you're not sick of my voice, you can listen to me for like 15 <laughs> oh hours <goodness>. reading through <laughs> uh, the Milwaukee Bucks uh, collapse. I'm sure your, your listeners are really excited about that. But um, in all seriousness, you can grab it on Audible as well, too. You didn't uh, shed a tear at any moment in the audio book? Uh, I, I, might, I might have to go down that path. That's very interesting to me. That sounds like a lot of work. No tears shed, but it is a <laughs> grueling experience. Um, you know, because the book has already gone to print at that point. So you, you get no take backs, right? No do-overs, no yeah. like small word tweaks. And as a perfectionist, uh, when you're going back and reading it out loud, you kind of mm. want to do the verbal editing process and you have to come to terms with the idea that, you know, this book can't change. It's going into the world as it is. So um, that was a, a difficult mental challenge. And it is kind of a marathon process. Um, but I actually thought because it's in first person, the book, it's kind of, it's not really a memoir, but it's a, a ride along journey, um, you know, kind of with me as I'm going. I just felt better having it be in my voice because I felt like, you know, it's me. You know, I think there's a lot of my personality and my observations coming through in this book. Um, and it's a little bit lighter pe than people might expect. Um, you know, for that reason. So I just felt like it was the right thing to do. Love it. That's uh, another uh, interesting way you, people can get their hands on Bubble Ball, but make sure you do it. I've definitely said I'm going to be getting uh, my copy sent over here to Australia as well, which is going to be fantastic. All right, Ben, I know you're familiar with the Locked On Podcast Network and our fantastic sponsors, but now we're going to talk about rockauto.com, which is the family business that has been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Just go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Uh, the best part about it is that the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and they're the same for... You know, the home, the home workers like me, the do-it-yourselfers as they are for the experts, which is always a nice bonus. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available. Just write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. We spoke about the way that the season ended for the Bucks, and now that we are, and it's kind of hard to believe that we're right on the footstep or the doorstep of the postseason again here, but after the way that things ended last year, I think that there was a significant amount of uncertainty around the Bucks and what was going to be the next steps, and clearly it all started with Giannis. But after the offseason they had, the moves they made, obviously the significant extension for Giannis, how do you view this regular season for the Bucks, keeping in mind that in my eyes, I think this has been one of the most unpredictable regular seasons we've ever seen for all the reasons we know, the un unavailability of players, the health and safety protocols, the schedule, it goes on and on. But to me, it's been really hard to read. But how have you viewed the way the Bucks have gone about this? Because it has been a different approach to what we've come to know from them the last two years. Yeah, you know, I would say it could have been better. It could have been worse. I mean, especially when Bogdanovich is just going nuts for <laughs> Atlanta here over the last month and a half. It's really hard not to, like, you know, look over at your neighbor's lawn and say, man, that thing sure is green, sure is nice. Kind of wish, uh, you know, that guy was playing starting two guard for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, but, you know, you, you can't cry over spilt milk at the same time. You know, I think I still have questions about some of their key bench pieces. Um, but, I, you know, I think ultimately they nailed the big stuff, right? They had to get a third star of sorts. 
um, to supplement Giannis and Chris Middleton. Um, they had to get somebody who was going to be able to handle backcourt defensive matchups because pretty much no matter where they uh, went, you know, through the playoff bracket, they were going to have to deal with guys that, you know, Drew Holiday is going to help them with. They had to trade Eric Bledsoe no matter what. And I think, um, you know, people were really nitpicking the cost on the holiday trade. And I kept just saying, like, look, I mean, a lot of those draft picks are to unload Bledsoe. Like, you, if you're watching these games, you realize this guy's a big-time mess and they've just got to move forward. Um, and so I think that, you know, the Bogdanovich thing would have sealed it as a great offseason. Um, and you're going to be happy almost no matter what if you re-sign Giannis and put those kinds of questions to bed. But I still wasn't completely convinced coming out of the, um, the break that they were, like, you know, signed, sealed, and delivered as a top contender. And I think, unfortunately, um, you know, to me, that Harden trade just pushed Brooklyn a clear uh, tier above Milwaukee in terms of not only overall top-end talent, but playoff-ready talent. And, you know, shot creators, free-throw guys, uh, you know, three-point shooters, isolation threats, and just, you know, making their teammates better. I just view all three of those stars in Brooklyn, especially when they're, they're sharing the court, as making life so easy for their role players and really setting those guys up for success. And I just think that they're the class of the Eastern Conference. And so it's, it's almost out of Milwaukee's hand at that point where, you know, you could have done everything right and still kind of wound up, you know, second in line uh, behind a team like Brooklyn. So that's why I say it could have been better, could have been worse. But I've been impressed with their relative stability. I know it got a little choppy there. It's like five-game winning streak, five-game losing streak. And you're kind of thinking, wait a minute, this is not the Milwaukee Bucks team we've known from the last couple of years. Uh, but I think they're still right where they need to be from a positioning standpoint. And I think if they're going to be entering the playoffs in relatively good health, which I expect, then you really can't ask for much more than that. And I think they're more playoff ready this year uh, than they were last year from a roster standpoint. So those are, those are definitely good s- steps forward. Um, you know, I would love to see them match up with Philly on the same side of the bracket so that the winner gets Brooklyn. I think that's kind of like the best case scenario from a, uh, a national narrative standpoint. And I would actually love to see them take Philly out. I mean, I think that would be so funny. I keep <laughs> listening to the Sixers nominate themselves for every award and it's I got to be the MVP I've got to be the defensive player of the year I've got to be an all-star you know we're talking about Joel Embiid Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris like guys if you have to campaign that hard are you sure you're in these conversations I mean are you really really sure and Ben Simmons are you even the best defensive player on your team I mean what are you even talking about so you know th- there's been some of these uh, you know chess thumping incidents with Philadelphia where they seem to get an awful a lot quieter after they lose a couple games to Milwaukee here the last couple of weeks we don't hear quite the the same level of uh of uh, attention seeking from them so I'm looking forward to that matchup just because it's the clash of personalities you know Giannis never going to say anything Middleton you know like famously boring Drew Holiday like donating so much money to the community he doesn't really have time to talk trash to anyone versus this Sixers team, which is trying to establish themselves as kind of like this big brother presence in the uh, conference. I'm just not sure they're up for it. So let's just stick with the Sixers then here for a little bit, because if, as we all know, and we've spoken about it a lot, obviously on this show, as we, as we look, because I think that the significant advantage, if you were Milwaukee, and this is kind of the ironic thing about the way the Bucks have approached this regular season and not going all out for the number one seed, is that this year, as you already mentioned, because of Brooklyn being there, the advantage you get 
for finishing in the number one seed would be significant in the way that there oh, is. Yeah. A, there, I mean, there is a significant chance that if you finish two or three, you're going to get a more difficult opponent in the first round than what, say, Brooklyn might in the second round. I mean, they might end up with the Knicks, they might end up with the Hawks, uh, and you could get Boston or Miami in the first round. So it's obviously significant. But if the Bucks do run in to Philadelphia, I, I've always felt the last few years that this has been a matchup that the Bucks like. And the sole reason for that is that Philadelphia have struggled to score against Milwaukee because, uh, basically because of Ben Simmons. He hasn't been able to be an effective offensive player against the Bucks in the way that they defend. And I think it's interesting this year that they added uh, a number of shooters or they tried to. And I just finished watching the Sixers today and they blew out the Hawks who were pretty depleted. But Seth Curry uh, hit a bunch of threes, particularly early when the game was on. But the thing that still is bizarre to me with Philadelphia is the fact that they don't shoot a lot of them, despite the fact that they've added these players. I think last time I checked, they're still only getting up around 30 per game, which is around 27th, 28th in the league. They're still just very confusing to me with the way that they run their offense. And I, I'm still not convinced that it's going to lead to success in the postseason. They're not that different on paper in terms of their rankings and stuff than they were last year, which is crazy yeah. because Horford fits so poorly. But I think they're average on offense, basically, and I think they're bottom five and three-pointers right now. That doesn't sound like a great formula if you have to take on teams like Milwaukee and Brooklyn who could really get up a lot of threes and really score a lot of points. Um, you know, it really comes down to can they control style of play? And what we saw in last year's playoffs without Simmons, Philadelphia could not control the style of play. I mean, they just could not keep up with Boston shooters. And B, you get him out on the perimeter. He has a hard time tracking those three-point shooters. And, and guys like Tatum just went absolutely nuts for Boston. And so there's going to be a lot of opportunities, I think, for teams to exploit that, especially Brooklyn, because of all their perimeter firepower. I think they're going to make, you know, if there is a matchup with Philadelphia, they're going to make his life very difficult. And on the other end, He's going to face double teams, triple teams, whatever else you could throw at him. And you're going to say, hey, can you avoid the turnovers? Can you, you know, force Ben Simmons to beat you offensively? And, you know, are guys like Danny Green going to really show up in, in ways they didn't in last year's postseason? I mean, those are all pretty big questions for Philadelphia. So um, I'm with you. I think right now my, my pecking order is one Brooklyn, two Milwaukee, three Philly, and then it's kind of everybody else. Um, the path thing is is fascinating. I mean, if you're you know, Brooklyn, and you get the one seed and your path is like Washington, then New York, then, then Milwaukee, right? Instead of if they're the two seed and they would have to face like Miami and then, you know, say Philly and then Milwaukee or however it might shake out. I mean, those are massive differences in terms of degree of difficulty. And it's amazing to me as well. Like Philly talks all this stuff about, oh, we're MVP, we're this and that. And somehow Brooklyn, with all of its injury issues, is still above them in the standings. It's just hilarious. So the Nets have been obviously fascinating for a number of reasons this year. And at this point, I guess we still really don't know as much as we talk about how much firepower they do have. But we don't really know what's going on with James Harden or when he's going to return. But as far as a potential matchup with the Bucks, and they've only played once, they're going to play each other a couple of times here in the next week. But again, you're not going to have James Harden. So it's going to be hard to really take away a lot from that but I did think that the trade and I didn't know at the time I needed to see PJ Tucker I needed to see what he he had left in the tank I guess because it had been so long since we've seen him play at a high level and with a really competitive team but the trade for PJ Tucker as well I do think has been significant for the Bucks after seeing him play and see that he does still have that defensive quickness he's still going to be an impact player and for me it changes the the uh, the numbers game for the Bucks from having three guys that you you 
you're fine with. You're fine with Chris. You're fine with Drew. You're fine with Giannis in the closing lineup. I think now you have a fourth guy, um, again, pending health. He's, he's had a, a few issues since he got to Milwaukee. But how did you view the Tucker trade at the time? And where does that leave the Bucks in terms of a potential matchup? Because let's be honest, you're not going to be able to have enough flexible defenders that can switch if you're playing this Brooklyn team and they're healthy. Yeah, no, I think that your, your point on counting up the guys that you trust and who can play in closing lineups of key playoff games against teams that are versatile, that's been a huge question for Milwaukee because it's like, do you play Lopez or not? If you do, um, you know, you're making some real sacrifices in terms of his mobility. If you don't, like, boy, the, the backup options really weren't that great. And so it got pretty dicey pretty quickly. You know, I think Tucker's going to play a lot of important minutes for, for them. I think the, the tricky part, you know, is he going to really be able to give Kevin Durant problems? Like, it sounds good on theory if he has mm-hmm. to take some time in that matchup. But, you know, against Anthony Davis in last year's playoffs, I mean, it worked for about a quarter and a half or maybe even a game. But as that series unfolded, I mean, there really wasn't any answer for Davis's length and for his shooting ability. I mean, he was just kind of getting what he wanted against Tucker. I could see a similar thing playing out with Kevin Durant. I mean, it's just you're giving up so much size there. Um, and if you're using Middleton on Durant, that's fine. But I think it's kind of the same thing. And you're going to want to give him different looks. I'm not totally convinced Tucker is going to be that helpful against, um, you know, the other stars. So the nice thing is you can probably stash him on whoever's playing center for Brooklyn. And then, you know, you're able to kind of match up more cleanly other places. And you're able to kind of use Giannis, I think, even more actively as a defensive helper, which is always good. Because I think um, you know, that's, that's probably your best bet is, is to not risk Giannis's foul trouble with big minutes of him guarding kind of high profile players. And, you know, Tucker's versatility there just kind of helps make those lineups a little bit cleaner. So I think it was a smart move. It came at a good price, a lower price than I expected. So you definitely do it. I'm not sure the long-term potential of him as a fit, you know, is this going to be a multi-year solution or not? To me, that's still open. But, you know, you need to be in all-in mode right now. You have to keep up with the Joneses, and that's what that move is all about, right, is giving you one more option um, when you're looking at the two teams who everybody's circling, Philly and Brooklyn, and saying he's probably going to be pretty helpful. Okay, it's betonline.ag time now, uh, which, of course, is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. This week has tons of sports action on the go, actually, with the NFL draft coming up here in the next 24 to 48 hours. And also, the Kentucky Derby is back as the first leg of the Triple Crown begins this weekend. I am completely foreign to what is going on with that, but I'm sure a lot of you are into it. So you can get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, all your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get in on the game as the teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code locked on for that. That's Bet Online your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, let's be honest. I mean, the only guy athletically, size-wise, that's going to be able to match up on Kevin Durant is Giannis, and we'll wait and see uh, whether they go down that path. But uh, from what we've seen from KD so far this year, he's been simply unstoppable. It's actually been absurd. I I looked up the numbers the other day because it feels like he's played more. I know he's been out for a lot, but he's only played 20... 21, 22, 23 games this season. And uh, as we've seen, he has two weeks off. He comes back and he's the same old guy. 
yeah, it's absolutely killing me how much time he's missing because I love watching him yeah, play. Yeah. I'm curious on that matchup with Giannis. Do you think that they will go to it? Do you think that there'll be public pressure after the whole, you know, Giannis doesn't want to guard Jimmy thing? Do you think that that's going to ramp up and he's going to have to see real time against KD? Because I actually like Middleton almost as a better option against KD than Giannis. Am I crazy for that? No, I don't think so. Middleton actually going back to the Golden State days matched up on Kevin Durant and had some pretty good performances. And I, I think overall over the last three or four years, we've seen Middleton um, perhaps not have the impact defensively on a night-to-night basis because he, he's been playing more on offense. He's been more of a focal point and he hasn't had to. The Bucks have played this team-style defense, but we've seen recently he had a really strong performance on Devin Booker. And I think what we do know about Chris in, in a one-on-one matchup and in the postseason, you can, you can give him a guy like that. And he, he is obviously a, a pretty good defender. I think more than anything, you'll see Giannis in, in big possessions in big moments. And, and I know, again, we go back to that game two against Miami and, and, you know, he gave up the foul. But we've seen a number of times this season when there's been uh, clutch possessions or critical situations, Giannis has gone to him. Uh, whether or not they would go to that from the outset, I, I would be surprised if that was the case. But, um, you know, I mean, Giannis in, in a one-on-one situation, he struggles getting through screens. He struggles through contact in those types of situations. But in an isolation yeah, and Giannis is obviously a great option because he has that length and that ability to at least contest shots. Yeah, well said. I mean, I, I do think that the foul trouble stuff was a real deal in last yeah. year's playoffs too, and especially against Brooklyn. I mean, he's going to have to carry a heavy load on offense too, and so you always worry about those player control fouls for Giannis, and so it's a matter of like, can you save him for those most important defensive possessions? Because, I mean, guys like Harden, Kyrie, and – KD, they'll catch you a step slow. They'll catch you rotating over a little bit late. If you're reaching, they're going to get into your body and get to the foul line. They're all just super crafty, right? And so, you know, that's why I almost wonder, they're probably going to have to go to PJ against Kevin Durant as well. I mean, they're just going to have to have like three or four different guys to try to try on him and see if anything works. It's super underestimated, the the foul trouble stuff that you bring up, Ben. I mean, people sometimes disregard that, but it's real. I mean, if Giannis, if you, if you start the game with Giannis on KD and he picks up two quick fouls, you're in serious, serious trouble. So I don't think that it should be disregarded. But that's why, again, in the fourth quarter, if you need to, you can go to him. That's sort of the way uh, that I look at it there. And again, that's why, whether or not it's an effective matchup that works over the course of the series, I probably doubt it because Durant's so good. But that's why the addition of Tucker really does help. Uh, there as well. The the last one I had, and we'll, I mean, who knows when we'll wrap this up, but the last one I have, the, the Mike Budenholzer conversation, you're on Twitter a lot. You know that, uh, let's let's say Bucks fans are, are pretty divided, and I don't even know if divided might be being a bit nice about it when it comes to Mike Budenholzer. How have you seen his performance this year, particularly in response to some of the things that we saw in the postseason last year? We already referenced that with the Jimmy Butler matchups type stuff, minutes, all those types of things. How have you seen him, he, the way that he's coached this team this year? Well, what's interesting to me is less about what we've seen during this regular season because we do have all these variables and it's always kind mm-hmm. of hard to tell like what's the signal and what's the noise, right? When you're trying to sift through this crazy season. And it's more to me about like how does the pressure dynamic change in this year's playoffs versus last year's playoffs, right? Because I think Bud went into last year's playoffs fully confident that like my way is the highway I've got all the latitude I could possibly need um, all my philosophies on management minutes management I've, I've got the backing from the players and from the organization and I can just do me right and he carried himself like that the entire bubble I mean he was chafing at questions about you know the minutes and you know, you're on those zoom calls I mean it got a little bit awkward a couple times where 
you know, maybe he's getting a little de- bit defensive or he's even just saying like, you know, why are you asking me these questions? This is how I do it. Like, you know, almost taking umbrage to it at, at times. Right. And, and even Giannis, you know, that one famous moment, he's like, what do you mean? I didn't, you know, you really think I would ask coach to like have me <laughs> yeah. switch on to Jimmy? Like I would never do that. Right. Um, and so there was just an inherent defensiveness to their entire approach to the playoffs. Right. And I think if you're doing real self-reflection after that experience, you're coming into this year's playoffs and saying, well, we're not the best team anymore. We're not the favorites. In some of these matchups, we're going to be underdogs. We're going to have to get a little bit crafty. We don't have amazing depth. And our stars are going to have to kind of lead the way here. And so what I'm curious to see is, when do the minutes pick up for the stars? Does it have to happen in the first round? Or can he milk that along a little bit until the second round? And then does all those hard and fast rules about how many minutes guys could play in those matchups just go completely out of the window because he's feeling the pressure, he's feeling the heat. Um, you know, you could argue it both ways. You could say, look, Brooklyn coming along was the best thing to happen to Coach Bud because now he doesn't have to feel the same level of pressure that he would have um, if they were the favorites and if Giannis hadn't resigned. So you could make the argument, well, Bud's on pretty solid ground because his superstar's already locked in. He's got a proven track record of winning teams. And, uh, you know, they're not the favorites, so no one's going to crush them if they come up short. You could also go the other way and say, look, this clock has been ticking. You know, I mean, he, they should have been in the finals in 2019, in my opinion. They should have definitely gone deeper in last year's playoffs than they did. And there was definitely uh, causes for why it fell apart. He was only one of those causes, but certainly he didn't help um, at some key moments. And so you could kind of say, look, you know, three strikes and you're out. If you can't get to the conference finals or deeper, um, you know, if you go out in the second round, then all of a sudden I think all these questions pop back up. So, you know, I I think when you're analyzing it, you know, Bud's in a tricky spot. And I think he's going to have to compromise more than he did last year for sure. And But I also don't know how he's going to respond in the high-pressure moments. I don't particularly trust him based on the track record. And I know most people, when they get into those moments, they trust themselves and they kind of go down with the ship rather than being flexible and, and open to like drastic changes of strategy, right? So um, I think he's like the number one coach I would circle. Him and Nash, honestly, because we've never seen Nash do it, as like two of the craziest X factors in this year's postseason. Yeah, so I do think the, the path matters to your point in terms of the – the no pressure stuff or the not, not the no pressure stuff, but certainly a lower level of pressure entering in just based on the fact that, as you said, I mean, last year for most of the season, they're on 70 win pace. I think everyone expected that they were going to, you know, get through the East, get to the finals and have a real shot at it. So I I think, yes, the competition is better this year, just purely from Brooklyn being there. No one expects that the Bucs are going to win the title this year. In fact, anytime you hear anyone talking about who's going to win, I mean, that they are basically the third team and we've discussed Philadelphia already. But I think the path matters because if the Bucs got to the second round and they faced Brooklyn and they lost, then I think that, you know, the, the rational reaction to that depending on what happens during a series is like okay well brooklyn's a more talented team if they if the if worst case scenario they got me miami and really struggled in the first round and i think it's all over but even if they lost to philadelphia in the second round i mean the bar is still very high and i think it has to be because last year there was more urgency and concern around Giannis and is he going to sign the extension but like we've always discussed on this show, just because you sign Giannis to the extension, the clock doesn't stop ticking. And you have to... I think they've shown the sense of urgency with the roster moves that they did make, again, with the Drew Holiday uh, 
trade and then the PJ Tucker trade for sure. But that goes right across the board. So I, I think it's, uh, like you sort of said, I think it's super fascinating to see how this plays out and what comes of the success or the failure this year. Do you ever give any consideration to bringing Taylor Jenkins back? <laughs> well, it, it's funny. It's funny because you'll hear a lot of Bucks fans, Ben, that will say, Darvin Ham is the guy. He, he's just going to get him the coach. And it's interesting because the, these guys, and Bud's got a pretty good track record as all the sort of San Antonio coaching tree do of guys getting jobs and being pretty pretty good coaches and you know Kenny Atkinson obviously not a head coach now but he did a pretty good job with Brooklyn while he was there Quinn Snyder Taylor Jenkins as you said has been fantastic in Memphis so it's kind of interesting for all the criticisms of Bud the guys that always come from his system seem to do pretty well for sure and I just you know the the tricky part is you know it's this reminds me of Michigan football I'm a Michigan football fan so apologies for the the you know the U.S. sport reference here but (laughs) reference but there's always these questions like okay if you fire Harbaugh who do you replace him with right and like he's not doing great but he's a big name there's actually a lot of comparisons frankly between coach Bud and Harbaugh I would say um but you know who do you who do you get if you if you do fire him who do you move on to and I think for Milwaukee you know it's not necessarily the destination market I thought it was a really nice hire when they grabbed coach Bud and I was almost impressed that they could get him you know like he was coveted. There was other teams in the mix. Like they had to kind of win his services. And so that was kind of a big swing and, and a get for them. And so when you start to do the list of like, who could you replace coach Bud with? You know, I just wonder if it would have to be somebody like a Taylor Jenkins, where I don't even know if you could get him out of his contract or how that would work, but I'm not sure you're getting like some big prestige hire. And I don't know if a big prestige hire would make sense to replace him either. So I don't know. I just like what Taylor Jenkins has done in Memphis. I feel like he's been one of the biggest overachievers two years in a row. If you gave him a Giannis and some of these other players, like what does it look like? I don't know. I'm just intrigued by how, uh, how well things have gone and by his ties to that organization. I'll tell you this, like if they go out in the first or second round, um, you can start that campaign for Taylor Jenkins to Milwaukee. I bet you get some <laughs> Bucks fans on your back. Yeah, yeah, that would be pretty fired up about that. I mean, Taylor Jenkins, it's it's so funny that, and you know what this is like, like you never really know a whole lot about the assistant coaches. And so Taylor Jenkins obviously was was pretty uh, high up in the front row there on, on the Bucks bench. But the one story that we got out of that entire season was the fact that he was the guy that, and I don't know if you remember this or saw this, but he was the guy that protected the players if there was a fight on the floor. It was his job to make sure they didn't run out onto the floor. And there was all these funny videos of Taylor Jenkins. And then, you know, he gets this hire and it, <laughs> it is, it is this big unknown. And, and that's, that's my thing with coaching. And you sort of pointed to it there. I, I don't, how the hell do I know who would be the next coach of the Bucks if they fire Bud? What I do know is that Bud's been there. And as you said, at the time, I think most people were excited about the hire. They've won a shitload of games, but uh, you know, as you said, how many playoff chances do you get? I'm not sure. It's tricky. I mean, I'm with you that the clock is still ticking. I don't think it's ticking quite as loudly as it was, Mm. but I do think how they lose this year, if they, assuming they do lose will matter, you know, like I think that it's gotta, they've got to show progress from last year's flame out. If they flame out again, I think it's going to be tricky. You know, I think at that point you have internal questions as well as just external heat. All right. Let's wrap it up there. It's always Always a pleasure to hang out with you, man, and, and talk hoops. It's always a lot of fun. And this time, of course, it was uh, more exciting because uh, your book is coming out here in the next few days, Bubble Ball. So uh, any any last final plug you, you want to give this? Obviously, as you said, people can get it wherever uh, they get their books, basically online, Amazon, wherever it is. Yeah, they can also just look me up on Instagram at ben.goliver. I have a little inside the Bubble Ball tour. I kind of show off some of the key features and 
Kane, you know, I'm a big amateur photographer. You know, I always yeah. take pictures of Giannis before games. And I was lucky enough to get a bunch of my photos actually in the book, which to me was like the biggest ego stroke of all time. I was so <laughs> proud of myself. So, uh, you know, it actually helps paint the scene, I think, down there pretty well in terms of what the gyms look like, you know, what the practice facilities look like um, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's just one little thing. If, if people want to check out my Instagram, they can get a look at that. Love it. And actually one last one, this is by request of Frank Madden, uh, who isn't with us tonight, but he said yesterday, he's a, a very, very regular listener of the, uh, the goat podcast and a subscriber there. And, and he, he wanted me to ask uh, if you have stolen Andrew Sharp's haircut. So, you know, for a while there I did and, and by haircut, I mean, that's misleading because uh, <laughs> that just meant I yeah, didn't right. cut my hair for right. six months. So, you know, a lot of people were accusing me, of um, wearing a toupee, of wearing a wig. <laughs> I mean, it was just unbelievably long. You know, I usually keep it pretty close, you know, yeah. kind of like a Cole Aldrich type look. Um, and so I, I put up a video on, you know, that video I was telling you about, kind of walking through the book with the hair because I knew more people would watch the video if I had crazy hair in it. <laughs> and it worked like magic. All the comments are like, congratulations on the book. By the way, what a great haircut. Good job. Um, a lot of people making fun of what I look like. Um, but I have cut it since then, actually. It looks, Mm. it looks quite a bit better. So, um, you know, you're, you're in good hands. Actually, here's a random story. And I I don't even know if this (laughs) is going to make your cut or not, but I had to go to the doctor on Monday and he actually took a look at my haircut. It was kind of a home remedy job, you know, I kind of cut it (laughs) myself here and he double tagged when he looked at it. He was like, did you have brain surgery? And he was like looking at the side of my head and I was like, no. And then he was pointing to the fact that I had like a little bit of hair, like kind of a clump of hair that wasn't cut quite properly. And I guess he had thought I had, you know, some sort of like an incision done in the back of my head. So (laughs) thankfully I could tell him, no, I have not had brain surgery. Maybe I need it now. I don't know. But uh, I guess the the long moral of the story here is I I need to go to a real barber cane. I'm vaccinated. It's probably time. Yeah, yeah, we've been pretty fortunate over here in Australia. That's that we haven't had to to make those types of decisions, but uh, that's pretty bold work. Just straight up asking if you've had brain surgery, by the way. So shout out to that guy. No, but, uh, one of the biggest roasts I've ever heard. Like, is that yeah. maybe the rudest comment ever made in public? Like, Jesus. But anyway, I <laughs> I live to tell the tale, and it's hilarious, honestly, in hindsight. So it's fun. Well, we're glad. We're we're certainly glad that you haven't had to had, uh, hadn't have haven't had to have brain surgery, but uh like we said right from the top you can catch ben gulliver's work at the washington post make sure you get your copy of bubble ball and also the goat pod make sure you check it out it's also a fantastic listen ben it's always a pleasure and you're always very generous with your time i always say we'll be half an hour and we end up being 40 45 so i appreciate that well honestly you and i could probably go two hours so i think <laughs> that you know we split the difference there and it worked out just fine but uh, thank you so much for having me. Best wishes to you and your family and everybody else. Hope everybody's staying safe. And um, I hope to see you at games sometime, you know, in the relatively not so distant future. You know, who knows? But it would be great to uh, to see you again. It's been a while. Take care, man. All right. As we wrap this up, don't forget to get all your the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. The Bucks back in action against the Houston Rockets. Very sad news that the, the big-time revenge game that we spoke about is not quite going to come to fruition because... There's going to be no DJ Augustine in this game. There's going to be no Sterling Brown. In fact, I don't even know how Houston are fielding a team on this game. 
That's how many players were on the injury report for Houston. But we'll be back to wrap it all up as the battle of the Madden household. Milwaukee versus Houston, 7 p.m. Central Time. We'll catch you guys after the game.